0: pray that you would just prepare our hearts for this message, that you would help us to focus, and um, that you would give Pastor Chris and Jen the words to speak. I pray that you would speak in and through them, Lord, and that um, your word would be known and obeyed. I pray that through this time that we would just know you more and love you more and serve one another, um, and that your will would be done in Jesus' name, Amen. 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 If you'll please remain standing for the reading of God's word this morning. From the book of Psalms, chapter 50, verses 10 through 12. For all the animals of the forest are mine, and I own the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird on the mountains, and all the animals of the field are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you. For all the world is mine, and everything in it. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated.
1: Good morning, everyone. Morning. My name is Chris. This is Jen. I brought back up with me today, a real preacher here with me. Um, And we want to have a conversation about generosity. And, you know, every October we talk about five principles of giving. And the reason why we do that is because if you're like me, I tend to forget the things that I need to remember and I forget the things or I remember the things that I need to forget. And so generosity is one of those things where it's not static. Um, It's something that we have to talk about on a regular basis. And so, the next two weeks, we want to have just a conversation, and that's what it is, about generosity and, most importantly, what God says uh, about our money and and being generous. And we wanted to start with just our story um, together and just sharing a little bit about how we grew up and our orientation um, to money and to generosity. And the reality is, guys, is that all of us with everything, but including our, our finances, are being informed by different stories. And if it's not the stories of the scripture and the story of what God says to us about who we are and how we're meant to live, uh, we're gonna be informed by other stories, our family of origin, the Mm -hmm. cultural story all around us. And that's certainly true when it comes to finances and and how we spend our money and generosity. And so we thought we would just lead the way, as you think about your story, because you have a story, by the way, and your story matters. Mm Um, So I want to encourage you over the next two weeks to be thinking about that. But we thought we would lead the way and just share a little bit about our story and uh, help us to know one another a little bit more before we jump into some principles of generosity.
0: If you have never thought about your journey with the Lord, kind of through this lens of His provision in your life, your view on money, and how God is faithful and shows up, I don't know if you've ever really taken the time to do that. I can honestly say that over the last couple of weeks of preparing for this, this is one of the first times I've really done that. And it was such an incredible practice. And so I just would encourage you guys as you hear from us today, maybe filter some of what we're sharing through your story um, as well. So a little bit about me, most of you know I grew up in South Dakota and I um, both of my parents grew up, well my mom grew up in South Dakota on a farm in Canton. And then my dad grew up in, a, um, in Iowa on a farm. And so grew up, really working hard and knowing the value of hard work. Um, And they certainly weren't um, overly wealthy growing up, but they definitely had everything they needed. Um, And then for me, I have three younger brothers, and there's six of us all together, of course. And my parents um, were incredibly, like I said, hardworking. We definitely were middle class. I never remembered um, not having something we needed. And I will say, like, now that I'm a parent, an adult, and looking back, I can appreciate more uh, the sacrifices they made um, mm. to provide for us. And so we were very simple, not, you know, extravagant, but we definitely had everything that we needed. Um, my very first car was a 1978 Chevrolet truck. And that thing <laughs> was rusty and beat up. Half the time It wouldn't start, but I was so proud to have that truck. And I remember driving it to high school and pulling in that parking spot next to the much nicer car, but every bit as proud to have that, Mm. you know, as certainly probably the person beside me, but just so grateful for how God, you know, showed up um, in in my life and my story. So we'll share a little bit more as we go, but that's the beginning for me.
1: Speaking of trucks, I just bought a used (laughs) F-150. I wanted to have a truck for a long time. It's got 200,000 miles, but it runs great. And um, I have to fight Jen to drive my (laughs) truck because she still wants to drive the truck. Um, I grew up here in Matthews. my mom attends the church here, my dad's in heaven. Um, grew up, again, very middle-class, just like Jen's family. I have uh, two sisters, I have a twin sister and an older sister. Um, and my, my dad grew up in Indiana on a farm. Um, his dad was a coal miner there, um, so grew up in poverty and kind of um, got out of that by joining the service, uh, joining the Air Force, and then after the service, um, joined UPS and drove truck for UPS. And that's what brought him to North Carolina to Wilmington first and then to Charlotte. Um, my mom uh, grew up, um, in Atlanta, uh, and then in Charlotte. So we're bulldog fans go dogs. Um, and worked. My grandfather managed the Rexall drugstore store on Graham street uptown here in Charlotte. My mom worked there. My dad drove truck for UPS and that was on his route. So he met the girl at the counter at the Rexall drugstore in Graham street and the rest is history. Um, and so we grew up very middle class. My mom is a CMS teacher. I'm not sure if she's here today, but my mom is an incredible person and incredible work ethic. Um, went back to school. I remember when I was in middle school, high school, um, to be a nurse. And so went to nursing school and just like Jen's mom worked nights on the floor at eight tower uptown at CMC. And, um, that was my, you know remembrance there my dad was in um, HR and management and again uh, very middle class my parents were great providers Um, I I wonder about your story. I'm so curious about your story and kind of how you grew up and your orientation to finances and money. My family didn't talk about money a whole lot. I remember my dad because I think he grew up, you know, so poor, you know, teaching me the value of money and just, you know, saving your money and thinking about spending. Um, I do remember a few moments um, in my journey as a child. My parents were great about providing for us. Um, And kind of, I think, sheltering us and shielding us from some things. But I remember my dad going for a long period of time Mm -hmm. without a job. And, I, you know, just different things that you remember. Mm -hmm. Um, I remember uh, my parents coming to me. I'd saved $100. I think I was probably 10. And my parents asking if they could borrow that money Mm -hmm. um, to pay for groceries. I remember people bringing us groceries and and helping us out during that time. Maybe you've been through an experience like that. And, And, you know, core memories like that you know, leave a mark on you and your orientation to money and how you think about your finances and generosity. And so I grew up um, and very much now am a saver. Okay, there's someone else in our relationship that is not a saver, um, that is more of a spender. And maybe in your, I've, you know, figured out in a lot of premarital counseling sessions that typically, not always, but typically in relationships, savers and spenders attract to one another. And, um, and then they've got to renegotiate um, their orientation to money and, and how they figure that out. And that's been our journey. And we'll share a little bit more today and, and next week as well as we continue in this. But one of the things I, I want you guys to hear this, um, and part of the reason why Jen's joining me today and next week is because we have figured out that actually the conversation about money and generosity and our orientation to money and our story is actually about discipleship.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It's actually about how we see Jesus and how we're trusting Jesus. And so really the conversation, even though ostensibly we're talking about generosity, actually the conversation under the conversation is a conversation about trust mm-hmm. and about our faith in Jesus and our own followership or discipleship you know, with Jesus. And for us, we've just learned that one of those major metrics like on the dashboard of how are we doing in following Jesus together and individually is how we view money and how we treat money. Um, you know, whether we're rooted in that and holding onto it too tightly, uh, whether we're spending it um, too loosely, you know, just how we see that and how we're generous. And so that's the conversation that we want to have um, beyond anything, you know, practically that we share, you know, our hope and prayer is that in your own journey with Jesus, that you would begin to understand that your orientation to finances and how you see money is one of the major metrics of how you're following Jesus and how that's you know living itself out in your life. And that's, that's what we really want to talk about. And I just wanna take a moment, I promise just a moment, to talk just kind of bigger vision for our church, because the focus of our church is discipleship, you know helping people to find and follow Jesus. That's the way we say it missionally. And where we're pulling that from is Jesus's final command, if you will, to his disciples, to the people that were following him. And it's found in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. And you might be familiar with it. Maybe just write the reference down. You can go and read it again for yourself. Again, this is known as the great commission or the final command, where I believe that this is a discipleship passage where Jesus is cementing for his followers, everything that he's been teaching and modeling for them in a few sentences. And what pops out and really what we're beginning to orient around as a church, as we begin to put together, you know, a model and an understanding of discipleship that guides everything that we do, that there's four words that really pop out from this passage. The first is belonging. The second is identity. The third is truth. And the fourth is purpose. And just really quickly, again, I just wanna give a little preview for where we're going as a church. You're gonna hear this much more in the years to come. But as we begin to orient around this idea of discipleship and all of us finding Jesus for ourselves and following after him, and then going and helping other people, Because Jesus says, you know, go make disciples, helping other people find and follow Jesus. These four words are imperatives that Jesus gives. And they're really about what discipleship is and how it's meant to be lived out. The first word is belonging. I think you would agree with me that every person in your own journey, everybody wants a place to belong. I mean, everybody. And we see people finding all kinds of ways to belong with different people. You know, we talked about, you know, grown men wearing other grown men's jerseys and going and doing, you know, and celebrating and, you know, all the things because they want to belong. They want to be a part of something and something that that brings them joy and value and connection. There's all kinds of ways that that happens, but people want to belong. And when Jesus said to baptize people in the name of the Trinity, I just want to teach this really quickly. It was more than just the physical act of Baptism and and he was telling them when you baptize in the name of the father son and the holy spirit you're helping them to know the people and the place they belong mm-hmm. because baptism was always done in the context of a local church a gathering of believers and so when you were baptized which is a public demonstration or profession we're going to do it in a couple of weeks in front of the church of your decision to follow jesus it was also an initiation into the body of christ mm-hmm. so it was the place that you would belong and that you would know that you're secure and you're belonging with other people on the journey mm-hmm but it was even more than that. What Jesus also taught in baptism, baptizing in the name of the Trinity was that you were identifying with Christ. Mm-hmm. So when you are under the water, you're identifying with his death and burial. And then when you come up out of the water, you're identifying with his resurrection and his new life. And so baptism was meant to be a way of identifying with your core identity. Now, everyone watch this. I, I think you would agree with me mm-hmm that we live in a culture and a world and it's not gonna change anytime soon, that, that is frustrated and deeply questioning identity. Where does identity derive In all kinds of different ways. And Jesus is teaching his disciples where their identity comes from and teaching them how to make a disciple and finding their identity in their relationship with God. Remember Jesus's baptism. The father says, this is my beloved son, in whom I'm well pleased. Jesus hasn't preached a sermon. He hasn't performed a miracle. He hasn't done anything yet. There's no works. It's the father saying to his son, this is who you are. You are loved and I am well pleased with you. Now, how would it make a difference in your life and in the lives of people around you if they begin to live their life out of that identity and not searching for identity elsewhere? If, if our starting place in identity was I'm a loved son and daughter of God and this is my, my primary identity, that he's well pleased with me before I do anything for him, how would that change your life? Can you imagine how that would change the lives of people around you and settling that question of identity? This is what Jesus is talking about. Mm -hmm. And then he says after baptism, which is belonging and identity, he says, go and teach them to obey all that I've commanded you, which was a lot of teachings here that Jesus gave to us. This was known as the apostles teaching. This is what the church oriented themselves around, that there is truth. The third word, that there's truth to live by, that Jesus is the truth and that he taught truth for us. You know, Pilate asked that question famously at Jesus' trial, what is truth? And isn't that the question of our culture? Is there any truth? Is there anything that I can know and base my life on? And Jesus is saying, yes, for you as my followers, but go and tell other people there's truth. There's a truth that you can live by. And then he says, back to the beginning, I'm gonna be with you always to the end of the ages, to the end of the world, so that you can go and make other disciples. In other words, here's your core purpose that your purpose is more than just your vocation or your orientation or your financial status. You have a purpose to be a disciple maker, to go and make other disciples. And as you go and make other disciples, you're gonna grow up even more as a disciple. So I, I can't miss the opportunity to share those things because we think about the core values and mission of our church to help people find and follow Jesus, this is the deeper understanding of that, that we're ordering us around what Jesus commanded us to make disciples ourselves first, and then to share that with other people to make disciples around belonging, identity, truth, and purpose. And one of the things that Jesus taught that certainly was on the disciples' mind to go and teach other people in truth was how to handle their finances. Did you know that more than the, more, uh, other than the kingdom of God itself, Jesus talked more about finances and generosity and money than any other topic? Now, why did he do that? Was, was Jesus in need of money? Did G- Jesus need people's money? Uh, back to Psalm 50, verse 10. He owns cattle on a thousand hills. He doesn't need anything. He's self-sufficient. He doesn't need anything from us. Jesus didn't create us because he needed something. It was his joy to create us, to bring him glory. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't that Jesus taught about money because he needed money. He taught about money because he knew it was the chief rival for people's affection to God. Mm -hmm. Jesus didn't teach about money because he needed something. He wanted something for us. God, everyone watch this. God doesn't want something from you. God wants something for you. And he knows that our finances, and specifically the affections of our heart can be drawn into money, that it can control us. So this is why Jesus taught about it so much. Did you know that a fourth of his stories are parables? He taught over 40 different parables. Over, a, over a, um, 25% of them were about money and about generosity. Again, Mm -hmm. Jesus didn't shy away from it and he wanted us to to follow that and understand his truth for Mm -hmm. ourselves and then to teach other people to obey those truths. So a couple of scriptures that we wanna start with before we jump into the five principles that we wanna Mm -hmm. teach you about generosity. And the first one begins in Matthew chapter six. And maybe you just wanna write some of these references down as we think about Jesus' teaching and the understanding of money being the chief rival for the affections of our Mm -hmm. heart towards God.
0: So the first one is Matthew 6:24. And I do want to encourage you. I'm going to read both of these and just share a couple of things about it, but I would love for you to, to take these verses into your time with the Lord this week and just see what sticks out to you and for your heart. So Matthew 6:24: "No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money." And then First Timothy 6:10. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. What really sticks out to me about both of these verses, the theme that that I see when I read it, is that money is really an issue of my heart. It's a posture of my heart. How am I approaching what God is giving me to steward? And is it controlling me or am I... Stewarding it um, to his his glory and for his purposes. And so I also love that Timothy, he doesn't say that money is evil. He says that the love of money is evil. Again, back to the heart. What place is it taking in my heart? How am I using it?
1: Yeah, I think that's a really important one because you hear some people say, well, money is evil. No, it's not. Mm -hmm. Money is not evil. Money can be used for all kinds of wonderful things, to bless your family, to bless other people, to bless the kingdom. Money can be a wonderful tool to be stewarded. The love of money is a difficulty. It's the affection, pay attention to language, it's the affections of my heart, the competition of my affection for God. And again, for us, it may not be for you, But for us, how we see money and how we handle our money is a major flash, you know, indicator on the dashboard of how we're following Jesus. And when we're not trusting God with our money, something begins to flash on the dashboard. And it comes out sideways in all kinds of different ways. And Jesus knew this. Not because he wanted your money. He doesn't need your money. But he wanted something for you. And he wanted you to have good boundaries of affections in your heart. And he knew that our love for money and our view of generosity could be in direct competition for our love for Him. So I wanna ask a question, then we're gonna get into the principles. What could it look like for you in your journey? We're gonna share some of our journey. What could it look like for you in your journey to trust God with your money? You know, there's there's an old story of somebody that was baptized, not here, but who held their wallet out of the water when they were going down, you know, like everything else can be baptized except my wallet, God. I wanna to continue to control that. And it's, it's funny, but it is kind of a picture of culture mm. that we want all the things of the kingdom except that realm. Mm. We wanna give everything to God except that uh, because that's the way that we can control and determine our life. And we think that we can hold on to perceived control in our lives through our finances. But what happens is instead of possessing our possessions they begin to possess us. They take root, they take hold. This is what Jesus knew. There's nothing new under the sun. This is what was happening in his ministry. This is why he talked about it over and over and over again. Again, not because he needed it, but he wanted something for us. So what would it look like for you in generosity in your view, your story of money to be a follower of Jesus? What does it look like for you to follow Jesus in a passionate way with your money, with your generosity? We want to talk about that. And we want to share five principles of generosity these are not our principles these are principles straight from the scriptures from second corinthians chapters eight and nine and if you have a copy of the scriptures i want to encourage you to open there i want to encourage you to take some notes and write these down for yourself and our prayer is just like our journey that you would take these biblical principles of discipleship and you would trust the holy spirit to apply them in your life and even you'll notice some of the language from paul because paul's the author As Paul's writing to the church at Corinth, he says, this is my advice. Mm -hmm. You know, this is what I'm trying to share with you. But he's not saying this is my command. You have to do it this way. Mm -hmm. He's sharing the principles of generosity and trusting that the Holy Spirit will take those principles from the scriptures, that truth, and apply it to your heart. And that's my prayer, is that as you just, just write that question down, what would it look like for me to trust God with my generosity and money? And you process that through these five different principles biblically that you'll just ask the Holy Spirit to give you wisdom and how to apply that to your life. Okay? You guys ready? Everybody <laughs> excited? All right, okay. So the first principle <laughs> of generosity is the principle of prayer. And it's found in Second Corinthians chapter eight, verses one through five, as Paul writes to the church at Corinth and he talks about everything with your money and your generosity, beginning with giving yourself to the Lord in prayer. So let's listen to that passage.
0: Now I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, what God in his kindness has done through the churches in Macedonia. They are being tested by many troubles, and they are very poor, but they are also filled with abundant joy, which has overflowed in rich generosity. For I can testify that they gave not only what they could afford, but far more, and they did it of their own free will. They begged us again and again for the privilege of sharing in the gift for the believers in Jerusalem. They even did more than we had hoped. For their first action was to give themselves to the Lord and to us, just as God wanted them to do. Yeah. I love how that passage ends, that their first um, their first action was to give themselves to the Lord. Their mm-hmm. first step, again, the posture of our heart. What are we, where are we surrendering our heart to? What are we surrendering to? And I love that. Um, it made me reflect on a piece of our story, um, a very, probably one of the, first Ebenezer's for us of God really showing up and providing for our family in ways that we never could have expected. And before I share this, I want to just say full disclosure, we do not get this right every time. Hmm. We do not order our hearts in the right way all of the time. And it is a constant journey. Hmm. And even two weeks ago, we were having a very heated discussion around spending and saving. Hmm. No one else probably ever has that happen, but on the regular. I mean, you know, we've been married over 22 years now and we still have to like recenter our minds and our hearts. So the story I want to share with you is when we started the Matthews campus, Um, circa 2010, our children were almost one, uh, three and four, Um, very little. And we were in seasons of, you know, bananas and goldfish and diapers and all the things. And I had the great privilege of being home with them. I did not have to work at that time. And here we are getting ready to start this campus. And we have like no salary, no insurance. We used, I hate to even say it, Cobra. And it was so expensive. And we're just like, okay, God, we've heard you. We really believe that this is what you've asked us to do. And we're feeling a bit poor here, like Paul talks about, like really. And we had everything we needed, let's be honest. But it was a huge, I mean, it kind of got us rattled. Um, and I meant to share, my mom was a nurse and worked full-time um, with all four of us kids. She worked the night shift. So in my home, you know, my mom worked very, very hard. I have so much respect for her. And so even me, like being a stay-at-home mom was an adjustment for me because what had always been modeled for me was to, to work hard and to provide and in that way. And so when this opportunity came of starting the church and we were like, what do you have for us, Lord? Um, praise God, Chris is a saver, because we lived off of savings for that year. Um, we would have been down and under if it would have been, <laughs> if I would have been in charge of it. Um, but I had the opportunity to go back and work at the public school that I had started in. It was the same principal. It was the same grade. Um, I went and interviewed. I'm like, this is it. This is how God's going to provide. This is easy. This, is a la- this makes all the sense in the world and did the whole interview, walked through the whole thing, and Chris and I had this incredible unsettledness about taking that step. We just couldn't find peace in it. And we were really confused because it didn't make a whole lot of sense, right? Like you need insurance, you need an income, go to work. And God very clearly said, no, I need you to trust me in new ways. And I wanna make myself known to you and I wanna change your heart. And so in that prayer, and wrestling with that, we chose for me to stay home, and I cannot tell you how hard that was, how difficult that was, and the ways that God meant to, met us there. I, I just, he is so faithful. He is faithful with everything that we are willing to just give to him. It is unbelievable. I had, I remember driving home um, just in the car thinking about my grocery list. And really, I needed goldfish and bananas. And I was like, Chick-fil-A sounds really great too. Some sweet tea. And I'm like, I got nothing. I I can't even go to McDonald's, right? Like I'm not, I can't go get these things. So whatever, the Lord's like, it's fine, Jen. You have food at home, it'll be fine. Well, I got to my house, no kidding. On my front doorstep were goldfish, bananas, sweet tea and a jug of it. And like a bag of food from Chick-fil-A. Mm. I called no one, I said, like, that was just my thought to the Lord, and he provided mm. that for us. And so, as you think about your story and what God's been doing in you, and maybe even now, where God is asking you to step, areas of faith and things that don't make sense by the world's standards, what if you really sought the Lord in prayer about that? What if you came with a posture of, hey, I really trust you, even if this doesn't make a whole lot of sense?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I thank you for sharing that. I, 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 as you're sharing, I'm remembering that and feeling those things. <clears throat> and um, the truth is that in our relationship, Jen has always um, really led, I think with, with faith. Like I just admire Jen's faith and I've shared before, like I borrow a lot of courage and faith from Jen. Um, and as a saver, like I think sometimes like spenders in the room can get the bad rap, you know, with money and that's, that can be fair sometimes. <laughs> But say, but savers <laughs> sometimes. But, gonna I, but but I'm but I'm going to say to myself, like as a saver, I can um, really not trust the Lord as a saver, and and I think sometimes it's a more palatable way, like to not trust the Lord because it's like, well, it's good to save, but like it's good, and we'll talk about this some next week. Like it's good to save for a rainy day, and and thank God we did have savings because we did live off of that for the first year, um, but it's it's not okay to save for like a tsunami. <laughs> <laughs> like where you're saving an inordinate amount of money that could be deployed, you know, for other people and for the kingdom. And I would say like spenders and savers can both miss it. Um, and just, again, it comes back to trust and faith. Mm-hmm. And Jen's always had a big faith, you know, and trusting, trusting God. Is part of the reason why we started that campus and trusted the Lord in that way. And part of that decision, and, and I know, you know, it's our story, but you have your story. Yes. Yes. The, the point is trusting the Lord and and these markers and moments in your life where you say god if you don't come through i think we're through i mean we're we're not going to make it here if you don't come through and that that does create a space for god to show up and we were fully prepared with that that if he didn't show up in that way it it was okay like we would we would find our way and move on but we felt like we had to go all in and and trust the lord in that and he's been faithful and, and that's how you build guys these only god stories that give you more confidence because the Lord is always about bringing you to other places where you have to trust him. You, you never, you know, it's like Indiana Jones. You don't throw the, you know, the rocks out one time and cross the bridge and that's it. You know, it's always a journey of continuing to trust the Lord, but your stories back here remind you of how he's come through and how he's been faithful. And, and a lot of that happens as you cultivate it in prayer. I had a friend that um, they had a little, um, a little painting by their door. And all it said was, have you prayed about it? And I still remember that. Mm -hmm. It's a wonderful thing. Like every time I was at their house and you walk out the door, it just said, have you prayed about it? And that's such a great thing for everything in our lives, but particularly with our finances. Have you, have you really prayed about it? Have you asked the Lord about it? Because the whole point is prayer is knitting our hearts with the heart of God. Mm -hmm. And so, particularly when it comes to our finances, it's knitting our heart with the kingdom agenda Mm -hmm. and the things of God. And this is what Paul is saying, that they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us. Mm -hmm. You cannot give yourself to other people. You cannot give financially if you haven't given yourself to the Lord first Mm -hmm. over time. You might make a one-time gift or have a a moment of generosity or spontaneity, but over time, living a generous life comes from understanding how generous the Lord's been with you Mm -hmm. and that's cultivated through prayer as we give ourselves first to the Lord and then to other people. I just want to say this and we'll move to the second principle. You're giving, if you give according to what God says and you're generous that way, it will not make sense to anybody else in your life. Okay. Um, It will be really weird. Um, Just the culture that we're living in says Mm -hmm. that everything belongs to you. It's all for your pleasure and for your good. So eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. Mm -hmm. So just take all of your money and spend it on yourself, maybe your loved ones, or then save the rest of it so you can spend it on yourself and your loved ones later on. Mm -hmm. And prayer reorients our hearts to say, none of it belongs to me, God. Mm -hmm. And I have to trust you. This is what happened with the people of God in the wilderness. Remember he gave them manna? Remember what they did? This would totally be me as a saver. (laughs) I would take the manna and put it in every jar I could find to save it, just in case God decides not to be faithful Mm. tomorrow. And (laughs) when the people did that, right, it would rot. And some of us, honestly, I've been in this where you have money rotting in the bank. Like it's good to have a savings, it's good to have a rainy day plan, but it's not okay to just keep amassing and amassing and amassing and amassing. Like we have to trust the Lord, and that happens through prayer. Here's the second principle, is that our giving and our generosity, again, on our discipleship journey, that's what this is about, is our journey with Jesus and discipleship, our giving has to be prioritized. And our passage again is 2 Corinthians chapter 8, and let's look at verses six and seven, and then verses 10 through 12, and what Paul says about making giving and generosity a priority in your life.
0: So we have urged Titus, who encouraged your giving in the first place, to return to you and encourage you to finish this ministry of giving. Since you excel in so many ways, in your faith, your gifted speakers, your knowledge, your enthusiasm, and your love from us, I want you to excel also in this gracious act of giving. Here is my advice. If it would be good for you to finish what you started a year ago, last year you were the first who wanted to give, and you were the first to begin doing it. Now you should finish what you started. Let the eagerness you showed in the beginning be matched now by your giving. Hmm. Give in proportion to what you have. Whatever you give is acceptable if you give it eagerly and give according to what you have, not what you don't have. Again, what sticks out to me about this again is the heart. Where is my heart? What is my posture in giving? I really believe that our giving financially, of our time, of our talents, all of it, is a reflection of what we believe about who God says that he is. There's a liturgy book of prayers that I often will read, um, and I absolutely love it. And there's a section there around giving, and just a quick little phrase I think applies to this. It says, let me give God precisely because I have believed that your promises are true. Yes. And let my giving be the proof. Hmm. So it really is discipleship. We really are living out what we believe about who God is. And Chris is right, the story of the world, me first. Me first. My yeah. needs, my bills, my retirement, all of it. Yeah, and, that's, and,
1: and honestly, that was our story for the first yes. several years of our marriage. Um, and just figuring each other out, but also the story of how we were approaching our finances. Mm-hmm. And I'll, I'll, I'll share with you what changed for us. And again, this is our story, you know, and I'll trust the Lord to apply His biblical principles to your story. But I would just share with you that what changed for us is when we started giving first. It, it changed everything. Because the way it looked for us, and maybe it looks this way for you, is that we would pay our mortgage, we would pay our power bills, we'd pay all of our things, our groceries, our, our needs, our perceived needs, maybe a little bit of greed's in there too, of what we wanted. Then we would save because that's a good thing to do. You should put money in your retirement and save and have a rainy day fund and all that stuff. And then if we have some money left over, we want to give it. We want to give it to our church and to other people and organizations that we're passionate about, we want to give. And that's how we did it for a long Mm -hmm. time. And what changed for us when giving really became the priority is when we reoriented reoriented everything around giving first. Mm -hmm. And so for us, the first thing out of our bank account every single month. And I'm telling you this only because I'm not sharing anything that we're not with God's help trying to live out and that we failed many times in this. We've failed at this. But where we've gotten to now is trusting the Lord with our giving first. So the first thing that goes out for us, in fact, it's the last day of every month because we want it to be the first thing that goes out of our bank account is our giving. Our giving starting here at New City and other organizations that we give to on a regular basis. And it's a chunk but it goes out every single month. We've already prayed about it. Every year we pray about it. We try to increase it every year as we can. And it goes out the first thing. And then we save. We do save in our retirements. We do save, you know, for the future. We do save for a rainy day. That's a prudent thing to do. Joseph saved grain for the people of Egypt and they survived the famine and could bless the whole world. So saving, there's a place for saving and thinking ahead of, for a rainy day, biblically there is. And then we spend, we, we have a mortgage, we pay for our groceries. We, we have three teenagers, all the things. And there's plenty of things to spend. But guys, I'm gonna tell you, for us, if we started with spending, there would be nothing left for giving. Mm-hmm. There are so many things in our lives and so many people in our home right now that need things and want things that all of that would be consumed in that way. And it would be, most of the things, good things, good opportunities, good trips, good clubs, good things to be a part of, and we wouldn't give. Mm-hmm. And so for us, for us, We begin to to make this principle real by flipping how we we give. Mm -hmm. So we used to be spend, save, give. And now we're give, save, spend. And that changed everything for us. And it really made giving a priority, what Paul is saying. What he's saying to the church is, you had a passion for giving, what happened? Mm -hmm. And that's what happens, guys. It's not a static thing. Mm -hmm. It's not a momentary thing to choose to spontaneously be generous. And that doesn't last forever. Mm -hmm. The story, you know, being biblically generous in your discipleship journey is walking up a down escalator. <laughs> Think about that. If you don't take, keep taking willful steps and rooting yourself back to truth of what God says about money, the story that's informing how you're treating your money, the culture and the story of the world is so strong mm-hmm. to pull you into you're nothing but a consumer and we want your money. We want your money and we want you to be knitted to this world. C.S. Lewis said, let me get this right. He says, prosperity knits a man to the world. He feels he is finding his place in it while really it's finding its place in him. That's the power of our, our affections for money, not money itself, but our attitude and our affections for money, somehow the world begins and the story of the world begins to knit itself within us and we see ourselves as just consumers that need to spend on ourselves and other people and save so that we can spend even more and we forget the priority Mm. of giving. Mm. As Jen mentioned, generosity, biblical generosity. What we're teaching Mm. begins in your heart, not your wallet. Mm. This is why Jesus taught about the widow's might. We'll share a little bit more about that next week. The widow's might. the two coins that she gave were the smallest coins in the Jewish tradition and you have all kinds of affluent people giving large sums of money in the church. And Jesus says, do you wanna know who gave the most today? Is that widow? Because it had nothing to do with the amount. It had everything to do with the heart and the posture, the affection, the attitude towards money. So generosity has to be a priority because the story of the world will tell you everything else is, especially in this culture. So here's the bottom line. And it'll be the same bottom line next week as we continue the final three principles. God doesn't need your money. He doesn't. God's self-sufficient. His kingdom is gonna come here on earth as it is in heaven. But God wants something for you. Mm -hmm. He desires something for you, not from you. He doesn't need your money, Mm -hmm. but he wants your heart. He wants your affection and the joy of being connected with him in that way. Mm -hmm. To him alone be the glory today. Let's pray together.
0: Father in heaven, we praise you. We praise you that you have made yourself known to us. Thank you, Jesus, for coming, for walking with us, (laughs) for making yourself known, Lord God. I pray for each person in this, this room, those that might be watching online, anyone listening, God, that you would let only your truth be what sticks in every heart and mind. That the journey that we are each on in knowing you and making you known, God, would you meet each one of us where we are? I know in this space, God, that there are a lot of things represented and needs and concerns and, God, would you just whisper what your next step might be for each person? Would you help all of us to know you, to trust you, and to walk in faith believing that you really, really do have something for us. We ask all of this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.
1: We stand as we respond together. all the earth will shout your praise Thank you so much for being with us today and worship is a joy to be together. If you're visiting with us, I hope you'll come back. We'd love to have you back again. And I wanna encourage you to stop by Connection Point, which is straight out these main doors in the courtyard today. And we've got some teammates that would love to greet you. And we have a gift for you and we'd love to help you get connected and make this your church home. We would love for that to happen. Um, If you would like to pray with someone today, we have members of our care team that will be up front and we'd love to meet you and pray with you. Jen and I would love to meet you as well. And we'll be here, and Andy as well, our friend from Hinga um, would love to meet you and he'll be up front afterwards as well. If you'd like to give um, to our church, our mission is simple. We wanna help people find and follow Jesus. That's our discipleship focus. And if that's your heart and focus and you'd like to give to that, you can today in the toolboxes when you leave at the doors or online at newcity.us give. We're gonna continue our series on generosity next week. I hope you'll come back for it and we'll talk about the final three principles from 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 on generosity. If you're able, would you extend your hands for a benediction as we go today? I do wanna mention that we have New City in 5 today. So if you're looking to get connected here or learn more about the church, uh, I'll meet you right over here in the West foyer. Um, We'd love to tell you five things about our church in five minutes or less, okay? And that'll happen right after the service finishes right over here in the West Forrier. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord Jesus make his face to shine upon yours. May the Lord be gracious to you and lift up his countenance upon you. And may the Lord today and all throughout this week until we gather again together, fill you with his hope, his peace, and his great love. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen, amen. Love you, New City.